we are grateful for the Sabbath. We are grateful for brothers and sisters at this church, the Battle Creek Tabernacle. And what a significant location that is. And what an honor it is to worship here this morning. I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who has already been with us. And you have promised us that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst of them. We are more than two or three. You are present and you've already spoken. As we open your word, we dare not open it without the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And so teach us now. Apply your word to each of our hearts, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. All right, so we have a new quarter, this quarter, and the theme of the quarter is Making Friends for God. That's the overall title. And then the subtitle of the quarter is The Joy of Sharing in His Mission. So, so the whole idea about making friends for God is sharing in the mission of God himself. Isn't that a blessing to be able to do that? We are on lesson number two already. And what I discovered, you know, I just, I, I noticed that last quarter um, was the one on, on, on scripture. An incredible lesson. That entire quarter was spent uh, on some sort of virtual platform. We continued our Sabbath school and we did it on Zoom that entire quarter. So this quarter we've, we've got to get to worship together and study together in person. And we're on lesson number two, winsome witnesses, the power of personal testimony. The power of personal testimony. And I know that this afternoon, um, Patty Guthrie will be speaking on that and, and I think that's gonna be something you want to, we don't want to miss. Let's open our Bibles to the memory text, and it's Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. And um, this verse really kind of sets the backdrop for the key point we want to make today. We only have one point that we'd like to make today, and the Bible makes it for us in this verse. Acts chapter 4, verse 20 says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's very important, and we'll come back to this thought and this text as we go along. Um, the author of the lesson, Mark Finley, has given us some scriptures to focus on today. The first one that we've been given is in Mark chapter 5, verse 15 to 20. This story, this um, miracle of Jesus, this incredible miracle of Jesus is given in Mark chapter 5 verses um, 1 to 20 and uh, we want to focus on verses 15 to 20 but let's just get a little background of what we're looking at and again I want to invite your participation. So let's just get some background. Mark chapter 5 verses 1 uh, to five. Let me just read those quickly. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. 
because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. So uh, the title of this uh, section in the quarterly is unlikely witnesses. What is unlikely about this witness that we're looking at here? Anyone want to comment on what we have read in these verses here um, so far? I heard something. Devil possessed. Okay, devil possessed. Um, yes, go ahead. Um, this man is under the control of Satan. Yes. Um, he's a full witness for Satan at this point. Yes. And uh, we see just an amazing change. It's amazing, right? Um, this is one of my favorite stories, miracles in all of the Bible. Because as a physician myself, um, I'm, an, I'm an internal medicine doctor, but we sometimes take care of patients in the hospital that we have a lay term for them. They're crazy, right? And they have to be restrained. But this person was crazy on steroids. Um, and most of us, if we had encountered this situation, we would run the other direction with a look of terror on our faces, right? Um, but we're going to see how Jesus looks at this gentleman. So, um, so this man obviously is in desperate shape. He is. He is really out there. And uh, Jesus came to him, we won't go through all of this, but Jesus came to him and he healed him. The beauty of the story is that Jesus was not, not afraid of this man, he went right to him and he healed him. Um, and then down in verse 15, which is where the lesson wants us to focus, I'll read this section right here. Then, then, came, then they came to Jesus so who is the they? That's all the people that were watching, seeing what was going on. They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, does this reaction of the crowd strike anybody as strange? I heard someone saying something. Yes, go ahead. I'd just have people raise their hand if they want to make a comment. Oh, yes, if you raise, yeah, if you raise your hand if you have a comment. That would be really helpful. That way we can see uh, where you are. But um, this man who had been naked in the tombs was now clothed and in his right mind. Now, what had been healed about this man? Where was the healing that took place in this man? Okay, everyone's saying, everyone, everyone's pointing right here in his mind. Okay. It is interesting to me that this man was not just sick in his mind, everything was sick about this mind. In fact, if you look at this mind, when Jesus encounters a person, he heals them totally and completely. This man was a, a social outcast. He was in the tombs. Everyone was afraid of him. He had no clothes. He had no friends. He had nothing. But by the time he was done, this man was clothed physically, and he was also clothed in his right mind. 
So Jesus Christ, when he heals people, he doesn't do a halfway job. He does a complete healing of people. And sometimes we think, I see a hand over here, sometimes we think we know what the problem is, don't we? But God knows what the problem is. Todd. I think part of the reason they were afraid was not just the economic loss that you know we kind of skipped over, but I think most people know, but that when Jesus uh, transforms and heals someone, he heals them completely. Yes. He upends the entire um, framework in which they've been operating. Yeah. And I think that's a scary thing uh, to all of us at some point. I'm letting him in, what's he gonna do? That is a great point. Sometimes we are afraid to surrender completely to God because what if he touches this area of my life? I might not want that area, I like that area. And so that's right, when Jesus comes to people, he doesn't leave you and bring you halfway, he brings you all the way. As we surrender ourselves to him, he gives a complete and total healing. So this is really important. Okay, so now let's just go on a little bit. Um, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began, and I tell you, we have a lot to cover today, so we can't dwell on every point of this particular story, although I love this story, just because of how desperate, desperate shape the man was in. But, the verse 17, then they began to plead with him, that's Jesus, to depart from their region. Now that's another strange thing right there, but that's not where we really want to be. But they, they began to plead with him, please just leave us. Um, did, was there someone who want, had a comment? Yes, the sister had a comment. Yes. It's, it's kind of a comment, but also a thought. Because we are saying this person was mentally healed. To me, I beg to differ. I don't think he was healed. I think he was demon-possessed. And once Jesus did cast that demon away, this person remained in its normal state, which means the devil was taking control of his mind. The devil was acting through him. He was not acting like himself. And that's the reason why when the demon was cast away, he remained sober and calm. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. And I agree with you 100%. In fact, I think one of, the, one of the things that really points that out is in the very first verses that we read where it says that he would break the chains. Um, nothing could keep him shackled. A, a force mightier than him that was possessing him was allowing him super, well, I shouldn't say supernatural, but because it's underworld, but this strength that was not naturally his, that was because of the possession of the devil. All right, now let's go down here a little bit. It says, down now in verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Why did this man become a witness? Why did this man become a witness? Because he was free. Because he was free. 
All right. Okay, because he was free. All right. I like that. I see another hand right here. Well, he couldn't do anything else. That was just the most natural thing. I mean, he had been in this state for God knows who, how long. Yes. But when he, when he had that freedom, the, the most natural thing for him to do was, I got to tell other people about this. It wasn't, okay, Jesus giving him instruction. Okay, now this is what you're going to do. You're going to tell people what I did. No, it was just something that came naturally. And it's yes. the same. It should be the same with okay. us. All right. That is a beautiful point. Now, let me draw our attention to one more point that fits that. To ask ourselves a question. It should be natural for us to testify and to tell others about Jesus. It should be bubbling over. We can't help ourselves. Okay, so this is the thing that Jesus said to him. When Jesus said, no, you don't stay with me, don't have time to, to, to discuss that in depth. He said, I don't want you to stay because the man wanted to stay with Jesus. And wouldn't that be a natural response also? I want to be with the person who has healed me completely. Jesus said, no. He gave him a specific task to do. And he said to him, um, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. One of the things that strikes me sometimes about our inability to witness for Jesus is that those great things that he has done for us elude us. We begin to either get complacent or we don't seem to appreciate what great things the Lord has done for us. How do we know that the Lord has done great things for us? We have to first recognize our condition before we could understand what great things the Lord has done for us. And what is our condition? Don't have time to go there, but Paul tells us exactly what our condition is. Our helplessness, in fact, let me just read one passage. Um, and it's in, it's in Romans chapter five. If we appreciate our condition, then we appreciate the greatness of what God has done for us. So in Romans chapter 5, I just want to read three verses. And we don't know because the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. When it's like that, we don't have the ability to appreciate the, the depths of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us personally. And so we become very lackadaisical. So Romans chapter 5 verse 6. What great things the Lord has done for us and his compassion for us, for each one of us. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, And when we, was, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We are the ungodly. We were without strength. Verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10 gets even, even more significant. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. All of us, without strength, sinners and enemies of God. And so as we begin to appreciate the great things that God has done for us in our condition, our hearts overflow with gratitude and appreciation. We can't help but speak the things which we have personally experienced. 
what our eyes have seen, we saw in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, and what we have heard. We want to tell everybody about it. And he went and he witnessed in the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is 10 cities around Galilee there, and it's just amazing. He met all over the area telling the great things that God had done for him. All right. In the interest of time, we need to move along. Um, on Monday, it wanted to, uh, the question was proclaiming the risen Christ. We know this text very well. It's in Mark chapter 16. And this has been, uh, all, the, um, all the gospel writers have written about this experience of the risen Christ and also about Mary going to the tomb. There's some incredible things. Uh, Jesus, Jesus is amazing. Um, and in Mark chapter 16, we want to look at verses 1 to 11. Mark, Mark, the book of Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 11. Can't read all of it. Um, I'm hearing something. Keep going. Okay. Now when the Sabbath was passed, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought, brought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, the Bible tells us. But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. I'm in verse 4, and it was very large. And then in verse 5, they entered the tomb, and there was a young man there sitting in a long white robe. And then they said to him, Whom do you seek? And they said, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And they, the guy said, he's not here, he is risen. Now this is important instructions. We don't want to miss any little piece, but, G, but this man is, um, is saying, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't that wonderful? Um, go and tell his disciples and Peter uh, that he is going before you into Galilee and so forth. And then, um, it talks about Mary Magdalene. She went, uh, she was also the one that had seven demons cast out of her and went to proclaim the risen Savior. The title of this particular section is Proclaiming the Risen Christ. Um, why is it important for Christians to proclaim as part of their testimony the risen Christ? Why is that significant? We sing a song, I serve a risen savior, he's in the world today. Why is that significant? Yes, Raymond. Because the uh, Bible says that we are saved, we're saved by his death, but much more by his life. Yes. So Christ accomplished something in his doing and dying. Okay. And so the humanity that died on the cross did not come forth from the tomb. It was a brand new humanity, okay. a new human race. Yes. A new Adam. Yes. And that's why we proclaim a risen Okay, Christ. praise God. All right. Okay. Anybody else? The resurrection. Yes, Kelly. Because we have a living Savior that has not just done something 2,000 years ago today, but is living to do something uh, is living something to do right here today in our hearts. Okay, very good, very good. All right. Yes, down here we have Victor. I want to mention that um, 
many times, even though we're, we're grateful, like the man possessed, he was very grateful. In Mary's case, she was very grateful, and that is a good thing. But how do we, uh, many times our gratitude is eclipsed by what uh, we think is important and what surrounds us or what is thrown at us. Um, hence, uh, Sabbath is great because we can meditate what happened during the week okay. and, and uh, the order of importance. Mary uh, was very worried. She wanted to tend to the dead body, yet Christ had risen. So what is important, even in our state of gratitude, we, we need to check our priorities. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me just, let me just have you turn in your Bibles, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because as we progress along the study today, we will begin to really appreciate the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian faith. Um, in my Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because in my Bible, and I, don't, I know some of you have the same thing, the title to this part about the risen Christ says this. You know how some of them have headings? Mine says, the risen Christ faith's reality. The risen Christ faith's reality. Now, there are several different religious traditions all over the world. The Christian tradition is the only religion that has a risen savior. If you look, for example, at the majority of the religions, for example, Buddhism. Buddhism is not going anywhere. All they want to do is to um, look for nirvana. What is that? Some intangible thing. Hindus are trying to avoid karma. Um, and I want to say this next thing as carefully as I can. Um, even the God of Islam is not the same God of Christianity. Even the God of Islam, he is a God that is afar off, doesn't have an intimate relationship with his people. But the God of Christianity is a God who is nigh at, at hand, who has come down and tabernacled with us, draws us close to him, but he is risen. As we go through and see, the next thing we'll talk about, which is Peter and James, the thing that gave them the boldness was the risen Savior. If Jesus Christ was still in the tomb, they could not have done what they had done. It, would, it wouldn't make any sense. But the risen Savior, I believe, indeed, is Christianity's um, uh, and faith's reality. Just a couple things um, Paul said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. And later down um, in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Some versions say most miserable. 
So the resurrection is very important. I know as Seventh-day Adventists sometimes, um, we, don't, we don't talk about it as much, I think, as we could. It's so important. But the risen Savior is a unique aspect um, of the gospel that we need to put more front and center. Um, and it will really strengthen what we do. All right. Let's next move to, to the next section of this lesson. And it deals with changed lives. The first life they point out um, is Peter and John. And I want you to go to Acts. It's the story in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And, and we'll just in, introduce this a little bit. Acts chapter 4, this is where Peter and John have healed that man that was lame from, from birth. And um, let's first look at what Peter said to the man when he asked him to be healed. So um, it says here in Acts chapter 3, actually, that there was a man, a certain lame man. He was lame from his mother's womb, and he was carried daily. Uh, into the temple, to the gate beautiful. And Peter and John, they were going to the temple, verse 4. The man, um, they fixed their eyes on the man. And John and Peter said to the man, look at us. So he gave his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6 is important in this witnessing and really fits with what we read before in Acts 4, verse 20. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What did Peter and John have? He says, silver and gold I don't have, I don't have riches, I don't have wealth, but what I do have I give to you. And the question is, do we have something that we can give to people that will transform their lives? Um, and again, I think if Jesus Christ had not risen, this would not have been possible. That incredible amount of faith they had to, remember, remember when they tried to heal people before? The Bible tells us they couldn't do it. They went to Jesus and said, you know, we, we tried what you did, but it didn't work. This time, they were able to say, we have nothing, we have no money, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. By faith, they knew that they could tell the man to walk and he would walk. That amazing thing? The risen Christ gave them this boldness to, to tell the man to walk and knowing that God would answer the prayer and have the man walk. So it's a really important thing. Okay, now, coming over to this next section, um, in chapter four, um, they were speaking in the temple and to these Sadducees and so forth. And then down in verse 13, it says in chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It does not take education. It doesn't take any special training. We don't, have to, we don't have to go to the seminary to learn a few choice Greek words or Hebrew words, anything like that. The Holy Spirit reveals things to us and uneducated, untrained, we can do the works of God with boldness is what the Bible is telling us. So I think that's, that's really a significant um, thing. And then from our memory text, I want to come to this section here. But when Peter and John answered, and said to them, 
Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, before I get to this, I want us to go to 1 John chapter 1 and unpack that word. And this untrained, uneducated Sabbath school teacher, untrained in the formal training of the Bible, we will look at some Greek words that help us appreciate what happened to Peter and John. So 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we'll just be in the first few verses there. Um, and it says this, John, he is, remember John, I love John. The, Jesus called him, you have a hand up Brian, Brian's got his hand up Kelly or somebody. John was one of the sons of thunder. And now he's this incredible person, yes go ahead Brian. Yeah, just uh, a quick point before you move to that. So what protected um, Peter and John from being beaten and severely punished was because of medical missionary work. And because they did medical missionary work, the people rallied around them and were responsive to the gospel and therefore couldn't be punished. Okay. Thank you, Brian, for that point. And I do want to, I, let me just uh, address what Brian said. Brian said, that the reason that they were able to be so successful also was the medical missionary work. Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, demonstrated to his disciples what his work was all about. It was, he did more healing than he did preaching or teaching. Ellen White also says that the medical work, the right arm, should not be separated from, from the gospel. And in fact, if the medical work is separated from the, from the gospel in, in our churches, and I'm gonna paraphrase, we have done the worst thing possible to the cause of the gospel. And that's a great thing. As we, as we attempt to witness, one of the most powerful witnessing tools we can do is the health message. Uh, we can speak to, any of us can do medical missionary work. You don't have to be a physician or a nurse to do it or a respiratory therapist or anything else. We can all do missionary work. That opens the door to these kinds of spiritual conversations that took place in Acts chapter four. Thank you, Brian, for bringing up that point. Um, really significant. Let's talk a little bit because we wanna to get to Paul and uh, I wanna read a couple of things as we, as we kind of close. We have 14 minutes and 35 seconds left. So, but 1 John chapter one, verse one and three are important texts as we begin to look at our memory text. And I told you already, that what we want to take from this lesson today, as we go out and witness, the only thing we need to learn today is this. Only what we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears can we communicate to somebody else. What does it mean, the scene in the Greek, okay? First John chapter one, verse four. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, now John is writing, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And he repeats himself, and he's not using the same word, that's the important thing here. And our hands have handled concerning the word of life, capital W, that's Jesus Christ. Down in verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. 
So there are two words here that have been important to me as I've attempted to, 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 to mentor and teach others. The two words are in verse one, what the things we have seen, and then the other was looked upon. There are two words there. The first word seen in the Greek there is aptanomai. The second word be looked upon is theaomai. Now these words I think are important for us as witnesses for Jesus Christ and for doing his work in missions. The first word I will look at first is aptanomai. Aptanomai, I'm going to read this. You might want to write it down later. It means to gaze with eyes wide open as at something remarkable. It differs from a simple, voluntary, casual observation. This is our eyes are gazing at something as if it is remarkable. Which means that to, to John, Jesus Christ was remarkable and he gazed at him as someone remarkable. Then the other word, theaomai, is different, and it signifies an earnest and continual inspection. Now that's really significant, right? Because now what, is, what, what, we've, what, what John did, and what Peter did, and what the apostle Paul did, was to gaze at Jesus Christ as something remarkable. It wasn't just a casual glance, it was a purposeful gazing at Jesus Christ and then it was earnest and continual inspection of the truths of Jesus Christ. That gave them a holy boldness that they could speak on behalf of God without worrying what was going to happen to them next. I think that is really, really significant. The challenge for us then is do we gaze at Jesus Christ as at something remarkable? Have you ever been reading in the Word and you, the Holy Spirit showed you something and you said out loud, wow. My husband can testify and he always, say, he always says, I, I'll be reading and I'll say, wow, like that. And he says, what? And it is because as we come to Jesus and ask him for guidance, we have not because we ask not. He wants to give us his Holy Spirit as we get his word and gaze at Jesus Christ as revealed in scripture as at something remarkable with a continual earnest inspection of the contents of the Jesus of this word. Something happens, we go forth boldly and we testify about Jesus Christ. And we've been asked to do that. We won't have to, like, like the, 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 the man that was healed of demon possession, we have to think about it, I think I should witness. It just wants to come out because we can't but help acknowledge the great things that God has done for us. Okay, now, I have 10 minutes to get to my favorite person in all the Bible outside of Jesus Christ, and that's the Apostle Paul. The lesson gave us too many great things. I mean, it gave us all the great texts, and we could spend a whole time on each one. Paul, and then I want to read something. So let's, uh, let's look at Acts, the book of Acts. Paul, there's so many things we can do. This particular story is Paul's testimony. Paul loved to speak about Jesus Christ. Did you know that? He loved to speak about Jesus. Every time he went someplace, he was giving his testimony. And we have it recorded about three times in the book of Acts. He begins at the beginning, 
everything he talks about, and he continues to just tell about Jesus. It just comes out of him. He doesn't have to even have to organize it. It just comes out of him. Most happily, he says, I will tell you my testimony. That's what he does. So Acts chapter 26, um, Paul is going to be going to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. He's in Jerusalem, and he gets to come before Agrippa. <laughs> and, and the time has really sprouted wings. Actually, this is strange. It's saying I have 850. I, it's right. Okay. Um, Paul is going to be speaking to Agrippa, giving his testimony. What's interesting about the testimony, have you ever been intimidated by anybody? Does anybody want to confess they've ever been intimidated by anybody? Yes, I have been intimidated myself. And um, when you're intimidated, that holy boldness wants to disappear. Isn't that true? And um, Paul is about to testify to King Agrippa and Bernice about his experience. By the way, growing up a Seventh-day Adventist, my dad, this is important. My dad used to tell us lots of things. My dad was a professor at Walla Walla. And he'd oftentimes tell us stuff like this. He'll say, what I'm telling you guys right here, people are paying to get. I'm giving it to you for free. Stuff like he would tell us. It was hilarious. But my parents, they both told us, don't waste time. I heard that so many times. And if we wasted time, my sister and I would be to write essays on how to waste time. My dad used to be really irritated. Don't waste time. Why am I telling you that about Paul? Paul got delayed here in Jerusalem because he was supposed to be going to Rome. There were other prisoners supposed to be going with him, but they had to get all the papers in order. Ellen White says that while he was there, he took that time to testify about Jesus Christ. No, he could have said this, I'm going to Rome, let me wait here. Oh no, Paul used his time wisely and he testified to others and finally he becomes to this intimidating situation. Ellen White said, just in, 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 to, um, in the interest of time, these people were dressed to the nines. There was gold and silver, everything. In contrast, here is Paul about to tell his testimony about a man that the Jews had denied. He had been crucified, he was buried dead, and he was resurrected. And they were upset with him because he was resurrected. The risen Christ is important to us, as we testify. But he was testifying about that. She says he was there in just the plain garb, in all humility. But she also says, if the angels had, that were protecting him had showed up, it would have outshone every bit of grandeur and splendor that they were wearing and so forth. And Paul begins to testify here, give his testimony in Acts chapter 26. Now what's interesting about this is that Paul was testifying. He used the very same words he said, I am testifying about what I have seen. The same word I told you already. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. But I rise, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. He was telling the testimony to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. What had Paul seen? As Paul was testifying, what had he seen? 
Does anyone make a comment on what you believe when Paul says, I'm testifying about what I have seen, what had he seen? Let me read Acts chapter 22, verse 15, same idea. Jesus said to, on, the, on the road to Damascus, God said to him, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. What did he see? Jesus crucified for him. That's what he saw. Now, it's really important. Let me just read one thing here to you if I can find it. I have it right here. Ellen White says in multiple places that the uplifted Savior, Christ in him crucified, it should be central to the gospel. The most famous quote for the 1888 message was that the message presented the uplifted savior. One of the messengers, let me just read this quickly, one of the messengers, then I'll close with a quote from Ellen White. One of the messengers, E.J. Wagoner, this has been written in multiple sources, including in Ron Duffield's book, but also was in 1888 re-examined. This is Wagoner, many years ago, the writer sat in a tent one dismal, rainy afternoon where a servant of the Lord was presenting the gospel of his grace. And apparently that person was Ellen White that was speaking in this tent. So this person was presenting the gospel of his grace, not a word of the text or text used, nor of what was said by the speaker has remained with me. This is Wagoner speaking. None of the text that she used remained with him. And I have never been conscious of having heard a word, but in the midst of the discourse, an experience came to me that was the turning point in my life. Suddenly, a light shone about me and the tent, the tent seemed illumined as though the sun was shining. Listen to this. I saw Christ crucified for me and to me was revealed for the first time in my life the fact that God loved me and that Christ gave himself for me personally. It was all for me. What gave John, Peter, Paul, and E.J. Wagoner a motivation to preach the gospel? It was the uplifted Savior. Christ crucified for them personally. Now I want to read a quote. That's the last thing we can read as time has flown. We're at the end. This is what Ellen White says. And she says this, and this is in um, 1888 Materials, page 806. There is one great central truth to be kept before the mind in the searching of the scriptures. Does anybody want to guess what she says next? Is what? Okay. Christ and him crucified. That's the one great central truth we are to keep before us and read the scriptures. Every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. Then she says, the love of, this next section here is important, 
The love of Christ constrains man to unite with him in his labors. The title of our lesson is Making Friends for God, the Joy of Sharing in His Mission. So she says, the love of, of Christ constrains man to unite with him in his labors and sacrifice. The revelation of divine love awakens in them a sense of their neglected obligation to be light bearers to the world and inspires them with a missionary spirit. What inspires the missionary spirit? It is the uplifted Christ, Christ and him crucified, and the love that he has for us revealed in that process. And as Bob told us, it's not an event, it is a principle, the cross is a principle from eternity past into the future. Well, our time is coming to an end, I have 40 seconds. And does anyone want to have a final thought as we close? Yes, Raymond. Praise God. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are merciful to us and gracious. Thank you for those who have gone before, who have clearly seen Christ crucified, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, and your messengers, Ellen White, E.J. Wagner, and A.T. Jones. As we've been studying this week, Lord, our eyes have been drawn to the uplifted Savior, and we want to have ourselves in the same position as Wagner, where we see Jesus Christ crucified for us personally. Open our mouths that we may speak the things that we have seen and heard. For Jesus' sake, amen.